think we're on. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead later this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But we kick off today's broadcast, as always, with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us now on our Facebook live stream, today is Wednesday, December 16th. Otherwise, if you're joining us on the airwaves, it's already Thursday, December 17th. I'm John Van Trieste. Joining me here in the studio today is Natalie Tso. Hello, everyone. Coming up next, Iguana Geddon continues in southern Taiwan. <laughs> then a newly re-released guidebook that will take you back to 1920s Taipei. And Taiwan's breakdancers prepare for the Paris Olympics in 2024. All that coming up next. Please stick around. First off today, though, uh, we are coming to the end of the year. Half a month has already slipped past me. I was that like, December, is right. December 16th? I know that there's a lot of us out there who cannot wait to see the end of this year. It's been a rough one for a lot of us. Um, and uh, fortunately, here in Taiwan, we are in a situation, though, where we can celebrate the end of the year and the start of a brand new beginning. So what what is there to do around here on New Year's Eve? Well, there's lots to do. It depends if you want to get up early in the morning or party <laughs> late at night okay. or do both. <laughs> or do both if you're crazy, I guess. Well, of course, there's a Taipei 101 fireworks, which will be going on as usual. Um, it's an amazing uh, fireworks coming off, you know, a high rise building also with a light um, you know, show as well. So that's like the usual mm. that everyone knows about. But there's also things out in nature that you can do. For example, you can see the very um, beautiful sunrise of the first day in Alisan. Okay, that's a popular mountain resort area uh, right. in southern Taiwan. Quite cold, though, at this it, time of it year. It is cold. You're going to want to bring a thick jacket. <laughs> it's very beautiful. They also, if you want to check the very first sunrise um, in Taiwan, you can go to eastern Taiwan and on the eastern coast, um, and, and there's this beautiful beach that um, connects to an island called um, Sanshantai, and they're going to have concerts there. They're going to have concerts. Well, that kind of spoils the nature, though, doesn't it? Well, they have concerts at night. Oh, at then, nighttime. Yeah, and then you can watch the, see, well... Maybe show our beautiful listeners. Oh, that looks like a lot of people, though. You won't be alone. Well, you know, that's the beautiful sunrise there. It's, it's also notable for it's the bridge that connects the mainland yeah, to the island there. It's so kind it's, of got, it's like dragon-like in form. Right. It's really beautiful. Um, also, if you just want to hang out in Taipei, but there's also um, Fulong Beach in Taipei. And they're going to, in New Taipei, actually. And uh, they're going to have a sunrise concert. So okay. also, we in the wee hours of the morning, they're going to be partying. Um, with music, and um, also they encourage people to take a cycling trip. There's a tunnel, that's the indoor tunnel where you can cycle that brings you all the way to Ilan. Okay. It's that's really a, nice. Another popular vacation and uh, slash resort area right. in eastern Taiwan. And this is all along the coast. It's a great coastal biking route. 
Um, also, Pingdong County has a countdown party, and they're going to let people take sightseeing tours around the lagoon in Dapong Bay. Okay, I was going to say, well, I didn't know they had a so, lagoon. Also, the, if you want to take a hot spring bath, you can go to Taizong's Lee Sun. They're going to have um, dancing performances, also hot springs. So there are all kinds of great ways to enjoy nature and to enjoy the last day and the first day yeah, of the year. Yeah, Taipei gets kind of crazy on New Year's Eve. It can take several hours to get home Do you usually go party. to I the type of fireworks? Um, I used to. I uh, Until COVID, I was going back to the States every winter. Oh, really? But uh, this year, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Um, I have to actually be in the stu- station the next day, so uh, probably won't be out too late. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a nice list of activities. It's nice to know that we have more options than just getting, you know, in crowds. Oh, and also, you know, New Taipei City, um, they have this big bridge, and, you know, the mayor there um, saying his fireworks are going to rival Taipei 101. So oh, boy. We'll have to check that That's out, gonna too. That's going to be a fireworks off. <laughs> Although, Competition. I don't know what bridge is it. I've not heard. Uh, I don't remember the name. So it's I a guess... big bridge, but he has big ambitions. He's saying, like, I think there'll be, like, Sydney Harbor, you know, oh, wow. style fireworks. Well, that so... is a big uh, <laughs> pair of shoes to fill right there, if I do say so. Maybe we can start by remembering the name of that bridge, because neither of us do. Um, well, I guess uh, maybe we'll see it on the news at least. Now, this is not the first time we have talked about invasive iguanas on this program, but things are getting real crazy. Um, In Pingdong County alone, on the southern tip of the island, so far this year, a program, um, and it looks like it just goes, they're just counting up up until November, this program encouraging people to catch iguanas got uh, over 7,000. 7,300 iguanas. 7,000 iguanas? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Meanwhile, in Jai County, a bit to the north, where they're also a big problem, uh, over 200 have been captured in just the past month. And uh, they're being led by a group of hunters who know the area well. Um, The problem is not only that they're invasive and probably damage the local ecology, but uh, they eat farmers' crops. They're vegetarians. And uh, so they say that farmers in the south of Taiwan have been complaining about this. Also, they are extremely prolific. I'm trying to figure out where I put this. Oh, here it is. It says that an adult green iguana, I guess a female, can lay 40 to 70 eggs per year. And Taiwan just happens oh to have gosh. some of the perfect places that they're not from here. We happen to be extremely have an extremely good environment for them. That's terrible. I mean, that's very fertile. 40 to 70 <laughs> eggs? Well, can you imagine that, that? It doesn't say that all of them hatch or but survive. But that's a but, lot. Um, yeah. That's faster than coronavirus, and they're, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. But they're, and they're frightening people, too, on top of everything. There's a woman uh, in southern Taiwan who shared a photo of an iguana that... Uh, uh, she conveyed how terrified she was at running across it because it says here that it's like 150 centimeters long. Oh my <laughs> gosh, thought, she that's, it, it's that's ma- like really a massive, long. Yeah, somebody said that looks like a dinosaur. A somebody said that looks like a dinosaur, not a... Wow. Um, she said she was terrified and people are wondering if they can hurt you. That's big. It's almost as tall as a person, right? A uh, uh, child, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, when I went to the pet show... On the pet exhibit, it was full of really cute cats and dogs, but one guy had an iguana on his shoulder, and it scared me to death. I mean, it just looks scary. People have they don't them. Look scary. They look like dinosaurs. Or, you you or are of. allowed to have them, but they must be registered as pets, and the city or county government has to know about it, and you can be fined uh, several hundred U.S. dollars if they catch you not having it. Unfortunately, a lot of people who do get them as pets either lose them or dump them, and that's pretty sad. Um, so people are um, 
yeah, setting up traps. The, in the case of this giant one, the Wild Bird Society of Pingdong County stepped in. Uh, they've set up traps in the general area where the woman reported the sighting, hoping to get something. Meanwhile, in uh, Jai County, this group of hunters is going out to places where there have been sightings. And uh, what they do is, it's not fatal, actually, but kind of cruel, I think. They take, like, slingshots loaded with steel balls and shoot them, and it knocks the lizards unconscious, and then they tie them up and give them to the city or county government to deal with. I wonder uh, how they're going to deal with them. He, well, he says he does not recommend eating them, even though, for some reason, he has experience. He says they actually taste good. Um, but Ew. he says, no, they're not. I wouldn't recommend it. Not Probably, too appetizing. You don't know what they've been around. Uh, also, they're generally okay, but uh, they do have very sharp claws. In fact, the hunter says that they're as sharp as eagle talons. And iguanas mm. will also, if untrained, iguanas, if people are untrained and try to grab one, they might... Uh, in addition to getting jabbed with the claws, they may be bitten or have their tail attack them. So, uh, yeah, this is quite an undertaking, and they can't catch them fast enough. Um, they're just taking over. Uh, this hunter predicts, in Jai County predicts, that uh, iguanas will continue to rise and occupy the entire river basin where he's working. Wow, that um, sounds like an invasion. And they're in their breeding season now, so he says it's especially important this time of year to go catch them. Oh, it's kind of cold. They're cold-blooded, too. Um. We have some comments here. Um, Well, Douglas North says, wow. I'm not sure what he's wowing to. Uh, (laughs) 150-centimeter iguana is pretty wow. Abid Hussan Asaji says, hello. Jandalari, now this is about um, fireworks. He says, we can see New Year's fireworks in Seattle from our roof. Hey, that's convenient. I hope they'll have them this year because I know a lot of places have canceled that's their events. That's true. Well, tell us, you know, what you're going to be doing for Christmas and New Year's Eve and, you well, know, share that with us. Hopefully socially distancing. That's if, true. If, you, if you're if in you a place where to. that needs to happen. Muhammad Shamin says, hello, Natalie So and John. Once Hi. again, greetings from India. How are the preparations for Christmas in Taiwan? What do you usually do for Christmas, John? I'm usually not here. This year I am. Oh, um, you go back to the States usually yeah. to see your family? I put up like some lights just to try and... Oh, that's nice. I tried. Outside the apartment or inside? No, inside. I don't want to disturb You know, one time I did outside because my husband's Taiwanese. He said, don't do that. You're going to attract burglars. I'm like, because no one does that in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Pub- public displays they have. Oh, like, yeah. All Taipei over City. the streets and the you know in the Christmas um, but, um, in the shopping areas, uh, shopping aside classes. Aside from maybe like a token mini tree, because we don't grow the Douglas firs here. Um, we don't have the climate. Do you have for a tree? It. No, it's like like fake one. I have a fake one. Yeah, a people one. do fake ones, small yeah. ones, Charlie Brown ones. Um, well, we have one in our studio uh, the other day. So also, um, is it fake? Yeah, it's a fake. Uh, yeah, one. <laughs> but. Um, we still, you know, celebrate Christmas in my family. So yeah. we have a Christmas tree. We listen to Christmas music. You know, I think I really like Christmas music. It's just yeah, very... But, uh, Taiwan isn't very Christmassy in general, I would say. Well, I think it depends what part of town you're in. Mm. If you go where the um, all the shopping malls are, there's just a lot of beautiful lights and trees. Right, right. And it's all very commercial. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't feel like Christmas Christmassy like at like home. It doesn't like a family affair. Yeah, no. It's a bit different. Anything else? Uh, that's it for all now. All right. Well, a city officially called Taipei has uh, been here for a hundred years. There were earlier settlements, but uh, the city of Taipei itself was declared in 1920, and there's all kind of events around the city celebrating our 100th official anniversary, even though people have been living here for a lot longer than that. And one of them is the a re-release, like a reprinting, of a book that takes you back, not quite that far, but almost, to Taiwan in 1928. 
Wow, that's a long time ago. What? That's almost 100 years ago. Yeah, almost. uh, So close. It's as close as they could get, I guess. Um, It's a Taipei guide, and it shows you what life was like then. It's sort of the lonely planet of its day, I guess. Um, It was originally, I think it's been translated as well, because this was originally in Japanese. This was a period when Taiwan was under Japanese colonial rule, and I guess it was for visitors. uh, And uh, it just... Some of the details from this book show that things have changed a lot. What were the must-see destinations at the time? Uh, they don't really list. It's more <laughs> a list of like places to eat, to stay, that sort of thing. So eating um, was big at that time uh, yes, as well. They have some names of small eateries near the station, and uh, but they also talk about public entertainment and cultural facilities, businesses. It's sort of got a, like a directory type of a feel to it, it looks like. Um, they say that at the time... The city was a lot smaller, just 210,000 residents, Oh, only 3,000 phone lines. So oh. most people, most of those people, I guess, did not have access to a phone. Also, a very enormous change is that, uh, and they say that this actually shows how during the period of Japanese rule, Taiwanese people were discriminated against in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, this is an example uh, Opium dens could be legally found, but only in Taiwanese neighborhoods where the Japanese lived. There were none, and they like tell you about oh, that. Um, how to get there. Yeah, unfortunate uh, thing. That's definitely gone. Um, but it also looks at um, like educational institutions, businesses, where to go, um, and they also what's what I think is interesting. This has been re-released by a group called the Jiang Weishui Cultural Foundation. Now, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Zhang Weishui, everyone out there, but uh, uh, he was a very significant figure alive at that time who was doing some big stuff. Uh, he was sort of uh, promoting Taiwanese culture at a time when it was being put down and using nonviolent resist- resistance techniques to protest against Japanese colonial rule. So there's a lot of places where he was around, including his hospital, because he was also a doctor, and uh, a newspaper headquarters and a party branch office. So I guess it was big enough of a deal that even in guidebooks, they would point out where he was around at the I time. I think our mayor feels a strong connection to him and his party. I don't know the details, but something has to do with they share. They were both doctors. Birthday. Yeah, and they're both politicians and, you know, um, anyways. So I you can that. sort of uh, read uh, what stuff was like here. And this, uh, I saw a couple of uh, photos from it. It looks like there may be uh, some like, uh, you know, things like, uh, it's like, a, like if you pick up a lonely planet, it tells you where to stay, you know. So they were making things back then too, just like that. Yeah. So uh, things have That's changed a lot though. I have some more comments here. Right. Um, well, Jen Delari's asking about the iguana. Are they native to Taiwan? <laughs> no, or? invasive, invasive, oh, invasive. Oh my goodness, they're invasive. And then we have, let's say, um, Michael G. Kelly says, good morning, guys from Ireland. Windy oh, Ireland. And uh, Douglas North says, I love sunrises and sunsets. So do you catch the sun? Um, rise on New Year's Day? The first sun of the year? So, I don't think I ever have. Andrea Wong, I tried that once, but we couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Bad weather. Yeah, we went all the way to the East Coast. Um, Andre Wong says hello. Hi. Hi. From downstairs. I guess so. <laughs> well, everyone, I think, is their attention Olympic-wise is to the postponed Tokyo Olympics, which hopefully will be happening next year. Uh, but dancers here, specifically street dancers and break dancers, are looking forward to 2024. They've got their eyes set on Paris, where uh, break dancing has just been announced in the past couple of weeks is going to be 
included as an official Olympic sport. That is so cool! It oh, is. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, it's pretty impressive stuff, and uh, they had uh, the, some dancers here had a hunch that that might happen, even though they officially announced it only on December seventh. And the reason was because break dancing became a competitive event. At the Youth Olympics in 2018, mm. which I guess is sort of a hint at what might be in store for the, you know, adult the, Olympics. Right. So they've already been preparing for this. Uh, this is the Chinese Taipei Dance Sport Federation, um, and it says that uh, they've been looking at, like they've been holding events since last year for break dancers to win points to be. In Olympic break dancer, you have to win a certain number of points at local or like sort of regional competitions, and uh, so it's not like uh, tennis where your score matters. It's more like ice dancing or or figure skating where you have to you know the judges give you, you have a, a certain amount of a, right, uh, or diving a technique, you know, right exactly a certain level and right. So they've been like holding these events since last year so that they could win them at, for just international meets. Uh, and it completed six of its seven events planned for this year. The final one is looking like it's going to happen on uh, well, maybe it happened on Sunday. It looks like, and uh, unfortunately. No one has explained to them from the Olympics, I guess the IOC, what the qualification rules for the 2024 games will be. But hopefully, those who have taken part will have the points they need to to, to represent Taiwan there. Um, only 16 men and 16 women will compete on the one. In, it says here on the one-on-one -on -one battle format in their respective gender groups at the games. So I don't know if that means we can have a maximum of 16 men and 16. That's a lot of dancers. If that's, that's a the case. lot. Um, that's cool. And. Um, yeah, it's cool. The the sort of guidelines that the judges look at are the music choice, I guess. That's interesting. I guess you have to uh, know what the judges will like. <laughs> but also originality, techniques. Mm -hmm. Of course, the technique is important. Versatility, which I guess that means you can't just be good at one or two moves. You have to be good at all of them, a well-rounded dancer. And the dancer's response to their competitors. I wonder what that Ooh. means. So I wonder if part of it is, you know, spontaneous. Or like it's two people having a dance off. Yeah, maybe it's a spontaneous. <laughs> they take turns. Thing, that it's not it's not choreographed all you know they, in advance. Maybe they take turns, but this is really cool. Taiwanese fans of the Olympics or people who just like to see us on the world stage in general may be a bit disappointed about the games, though. Um, baseball is being dropped yet again. It just came back or is oh, coming back for Tokyo. That's, that's one bad. of Taiwan's fortes. That's and true. And they're immediately after just one game, they're like, nope. <laughs> That's too bad. So I guess it's because the hosts of Japan are also really into baseball. So, do we have any comments? Um, we do. So um, we have a, a viewer from Somaliland, oh, Fahad Gabobi. Hello. I'm watching from Somaliland. Um, Muhammad Shahi says, hi, how are you? I am from Pakistan. Hi, Muhammad. Douglas North says, how fun. I think that was to the breakdancing. And, um, yeah, it's great to hear from you guys. Yeah, I can't wait to see breakdancing. I can't break wait dancing. to watch it. It sounds like fun. I mean, I think I've seen clips of breakdancing, but not like um, uh, Olympic-grade breakdancing. Yeah, you know? I wonder what that looks like. It's just like Seriously. I've seen amateurs doing it. it, it but It's got to be good. It's got to be good. What does the NBA have to do with Taiwanese noodles? All right, so if you guys recognize this guy, Duncan Robinson of the Miami Heat, well, he fell in love with a particular brand of Taiwanese dry noodles called Asha. Have you tried those? What, is, what, what does the package look like? I it's, have to know from the package. It's orange. I don't so know So it's a ramen brand. noodles. You can eat them 
dry, I think, and also, you know, you can heat them up okay. in, with hot water. Anyways, he has decided to um, partner with the noodle company to give away 10,000 packs of these ramen noodles to people in need in Southern Florida. Because um, there are a lot of people in need uh, due to the pandemic, um, unemployment, and, you know, all kinds of things. So he is trying to, um, he's going to donate to the hunger relief nonprofit Feeding South Florida. Hmm. I wonder how he came to know about these noodles. Did he live in Taiwan for a while? So or? let's see here. Um, he, hmm, let's see. Buy them at the local Taiwanese I think market? He, yeah, he said he, oh, he came across them at a supermarket near the University of Michigan for the first time, his okay. first encounter. That's where he used to go to school. I don't know. That, well, I didn't and know that we exported many noodles. I know that there's a lot of Japanese brands and Korean brands. Well, I think we get, do. We have a lot. You know, um, whenever I go back to the U.S., I live, my, my dad lives in an area with a lot of Chinese people. So they have okay. Chinese supermarkets. So they have a lot of Taino, Taiwanese stuff. Wait. A lot of the drinks and the, you know, snacks and noodles and all kinds of things. A lot of them are imported from Taiwan. I think outside of certain areas with large, like uh, like enclaves, as you'd call them, maybe like of Taiwanese people, they're hard to find. Like definitely not where I am. So, uh, well, I guess there was, you know, a supermarket that carried these Taiwanese noodles where he was going to school, and he's been eating them ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so, he asked his agent to reach out to the brand to see if they could work together, and um, they were happy to do so. So, it's great to see. You know, Taiwan can help. Taiwan loves to help, right? <laughs> especially likes to give away good food and yeah, where food's uh, involved, especially definitely good food, even medical supplies, all kinds of stuff that you know can be helpful around the world. So that's a bit of good news um, this holiday season. Here he is, very proud of standing with a ton of those noodles. Is that the, what's behind him? It's he, not a backdrop. It's the noodles. Yeah, it's a wall of noodles. Yes, noodles. <laughs> a wall of noodle packages. See? I really don't think I've seen that brand before. Why haven't I? I seen haven't that brand heard before? of that brand either, but. Uh, they that have made their be... way all the way to University of Michigan over there. Oh, wow. And well, now Florida. I wonder if he'll get his teammates to try it. He probably they could get will an endorsement. or have, right? <laughs> and they can be on like, you know how they have during NBA games, they have like on the on the side of the stands, all those brands. They can get that's, a sponsorship deal there. That's true. So anyways, I think that's, that's really cool. That's exciting. Seeing us represented. All right. Well, that just about wraps up today's edition of Here in Taiwan. Uh, if you're joining us on the airwaves, please don't go anywhere just yet, because up next it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. However, for all of us here at Here in Taiwan, that's all for now. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Natalie So. Thanks for joining us. Bye.
RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. This is Radio Taiwan International. Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. In this week's Hashtag Taiwan, I'd like to ask you a question. Are there any foods that you don't like and you want to banish into a void of non-existence? Well, if so, then this week's Hashtag Taiwan is just for you because we're discussing the foods that people don't like. This coming up next on Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. Tis the season for social media challenges. That seems to be the case in Taiwan at least. Over the past month, I've done hashtag Taiwans on two popular challenges. There was the write a sentence with built-in audio challenge where people tried to use words to elicit sounds. Then the misspell my name challenge last episode. Those challenges dealt with sights and sounds. This week's challenge deals with taste. People in Taiwan are sharing foods that they don't like. It's called the hashtag 世界上不该存在的食物 challenge, which means hashtag foods that shouldn't exist on this planet challenge. I mean, talk about going nuclear. You're not even trying to accommodate other people's tastes. You're straight up saying these foods should not exist. I mean, I personally have problems with pineapple on pizza, but that doesn't mean I go around ridiculing people for loving it. Well, actually, that's not true. You know what, this challenge is alright. So what kind of food do people hate in Taiwan? For one, a lot of people dislike san se dou, which is a chopped corn, carrot, and pea medley. It's a vegetable combination common in Taiwan used in school lunches and boxed meals. You can usually find them in the frozen section. I mean, I don't mind it, but man, people act like it stole their lunch money in the third grade. William Ingwei-xie included a screenshot from a news report that said the medley was a children's favorite. He called it fake news and included the hashtag we're talking about today. However, without a doubt, the most commonly despised food is cilantro. I don't know if it's common in other places, but this doesn't come as much of a surprise to me. People in Taiwan are very opinionated about cilantro. Heck, someone online is even trying to sell a shirt that says, if you eat cilantro, you'll die. Apparently, there's a scientific reason for all of this. Many studies have shown that a hate for cilantro might be genetic. People with a certain gene may register cilantro as having a soapy taste. I don't have that gene. Or do I? Maybe I just like eating soap. Here is one post that got me really concerned. Ma Youqian says she doesn't like green vegetables, carrots, mushrooms, vegetable-type melons, peppers, taro, woodier fungus, and of course, cilantro. I mean... I hope she gets enough dietary fiber is all I'm saying. 
You know how people say you learn something new every day? Well, today, I learned something horrific. Tsunshi said the food that shouldn't exist is pineapple wood ear fungus stir fry. Pineapple wood ear fungus stir fry. At first, I thought this was some kind of sick joke. I thought this person was just coming up with the gnarliest food combination they could think of and putting them together in a way they should never be joined. And then I got curious and found out that this dish is actually a thing. Yes, pineapple wood ear fungus stir fry is real, ladies and gentlemen. And here's my reaction when I found out. Oh, 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 you put ginger and garlic in it? Oh, that's so wrong. Oh, and you make it spicy, of course. Why wouldn't you put peppers in there? This is so much worse than pineapple on pizza. Oh, this was a mistake. Just finding out about this was a huge mistake. Oh, some has meat in it. Oh, it's no, can't do this. Oh, oh. Anyway, this week we have an insider connection because Jessica Cheng, the woman who edits our show, participated in this week's challenge. She said she doesn't eat sweet peppers, bitter melon, or eggplant. I mean, bitter melon I get, but sweet peppers and eggplant? So with the addition of this latest challenge, we now have challenges that deal with sight, hearing, and taste. I'm gonna go ahead and guess that the next challenges will deal with smell and touch. Are we gonna have a challenge about smells that make us nostalgic, like how camphor oil makes me think about my grandma's house? Oh, or maybe we'll make a list of things that you touch but are underrated, like a warm pile of laundry on a cold winter evening. What do you think? What might the next big social media challenge in Taiwan be? And that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I hope you guys enjoyed this inside look at what people in Taiwan don't like to eat. What are some of the foods you don't like? You can always get in touch and tell us and share with us your ideas. You can find us on YouTube at RTI English or Facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider. If you're a fan of Hashtag Taiwan, I highly encourage you to check out the video versions and also take a look at Taiwan Insider, which is our weekly news magazine. Anyway, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. If you had to sell Taipei as a tourist destination, how would you sell it? Well, we have a lot of great food, beautiful scenery, a lot of friendly people. Mm-hmm. Do you think of nature? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't usually think of nature. I nope. think of it as a big city. Um, so actually, there's this brand new trail, which is called Taipei Grand Trail. It's a hiking trail, and it's going to be featured in a National Geographic program this weekend. Check it out. A 92-kilometer hike. This is the Taipei Grand Trail. The mountains of Taipei are home to incredible ancient forests. The Taipei Grand Trail is 92 kilometers long. It travels through the mountains that surround Taipei. You can do the hike in one go, but even better, it's split into seven sections, easily accessible by public transport, and each section can be completed in a day. One-third of the trail is located in Yangmingshan National Park. It links some of Taipei's most popular scenic spots with places of cultural interest. To promote the Taipei Grand Trail, the city government reached out to National Geographic. It took director Yang Shou-yi and celebrity couple Cindy Chen and Benjamin Wong a year and three months to explore the trail's hidden gems and capture the different seasons on camera. Taipei Mayor Koenja has himself walked the trail to experience a beautiful perspective of Taipei that few people have yet to see. The mayor says he hopes the video will introduce the beauty of Taipei, especially to foreign tourists. 
The Taipei Grand Trail documentary is set to air on the National Geographic Channel on December 12th at 10 p.m. Taiwan time. It will broadcast simultaneously in over 30 Asian countries. Country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. RTI, exercise for your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest is all the way in the Netherlands. Yes, such an honor to be calling Wei Yu Hong, who is a fashion designer, and he focuses on sustainability as well as Asian culture and traditional handicraft. So let's meet... Um, Gosh, how should I call you? I want to call you Wei Yu? Uh, yeah. First of all, um, I know that you've been in the Netherlands for uh, about, what, two years? Uh, yeah, it's around like two and a half years. Two and a half years. Why study fashion? Uh, like I majored fashion design when I took my master's degree at Artist University of Art in the Netherlands. And also uh, my bachelor's degree and at Foreign Catholic Universities in Taiwan. So I got like the full like fashion design like trainings from very beginning till now. Did you grow up like really like design like art when you were young? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a quite like different like childhood. I mean, compared to um, like other people in Taiwan, like my parents like really give me like lots of time and space to explore my interests like uh, painting and also like performance arts. So I wasn't forced to like spend <laughs> all my time. I mean, in a crab school yeah. when I was a child. So I think that's a, uh, the reason why be I was not raised in a big city. Uh, so there were were not like so much pressures on me. So where where were you born in Taiwan? I was born in um, Nanto. But I was raised in Taipei when I was young. Oh, okay. Yeah, Nanto is like right in the middle of Taiwan. Exactly. Oh, okay. So, um, and what uh, what were your parents doing? What's their occupation? My father like worked in the cosmetics like industry. Oh, interesting. So, so it's also like part of the fashion design, I mean, industry. Oh, but, so that's where the influence came from. Yeah, I think yes? it should no. be. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like they also like do like lots of like uh, like campaign shootings for like each seasons, and also, I mean, like cosmetic industry are uh, the industry which um like selling like uh, like beauties and also um the concept to 
um, make us better. So yeah. I think there are a lot of like similarities between um, fashion design and also the cosmetics. Yeah, in fact, I mean, and for, I don't know if how how many years it's been. Lately, there's also a lot of promotion on men's beauty products. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more and more people are care about um, like their hairstyle, their leggings, like their appearance. So while your dad was busy with cosmetics and the making of of it and everything, you on the side was more interested. In the promotional ads, in the campaigns, in the way that he was promoting, you know, the beauty product industry and all that kind of stuff. So you were more interested yeah. in the visual, the artistic part of the cosmetic industry, right? Like he really like opened like lots of doors for me. <laughs> so oh. that's why I I'm now okay. So, I mean, working in the fashion, fashion. industry as well because. Like each season, like he would, uh, he would go to other countries to uh, participate the, the exhibitions to, um, like do the sales. Oh. So sometimes I would go and go with him to like Bangkok, Vietnam, and also because uh, his uh, company are based is based in China. Oh. So I also, I mean, go to like lots of cities in China. So I think it's really. Broaden like a lot of doors for me to, uh, I mean, go go abroad to see like what's going on and also like um to really experience I mean different cultures, I mean in life and also in different ways. So that's the reason why I'm really interested in um like very cultural and very uh, traditional um like themes in our life and also in clothing. Actually, your mother plays quite an important part in your pursuit of fashion design, because you were saying that when you were younger, you watched your mom use tree bark. Yeah. Do you want to talk exactly. about that? I'm very curious. That is so <laughs> fascinating. Okay, I will just like briefly um, like introduce like this kind of like handcraft view first. Mm-hmm. Um, like officially, we call it tapa. So like Papa is the name of the bark clothes. So Papa handicraft is an Austronesian uh, handicraft to turn the tree bark into textile with like eco-friendly progress without any chemical like addicts, like beatings and also like washing by waters. Mm. So that is the whole progress. Uh, for me, like I saw like my mother uh, work with the tree bark when I was a child. So it's not only a cultural like heritage from the Austronesian communities or an eco-friendly material, but also something, I mean, deep bond with uh, like my memories from my family and also the whole communities. I mean, in Taiwan, we really don't have that kind of uh, very continuous, I mean, cultural footprints because of the uh, colonial uh, like history, but we do have like the craft, I mean, our clothes, which establish like our identities and the way to get together to um, make um, local global. So a very brief like introduction of the bark fabric. Oh, bark fabric. But doesn't it mean that you cut down trees? Not really. We don't need to like really cut, uh, cut the tree. Oh. But what, we're, what we did is 
uh, we peel like the tree bark from uh, the paper mulberries. Uh-huh. Then use like the hammer to stretch um, the tree barks because it's a natural like web structure. So we use the hammer to really stretch it to make it like thinner. Oh, that uh, is so interesting! Wow, to like really turn turn it into um, a non-woven like textile. So uh-huh. that's what we what we did. Oh, I see. So because the the tree, the bark will grow back. Is that right? So the paper mulberry will like recover it by itself. So, oh, uh, okay. We can see as a very uh, circular <laughs> like production. No wonder. <laughs> so that's where the sustainability is. In this kind of handcraft, I think there are a few. I mean, levels of sustain sustainabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean. Because for me, sustainability is not only about the material, but it's also about like our cultures. Mm. So for materials, uh, because there are no any like chemical chemical addict, and also it's a very natural uh, like material, so it won't like hurt like our uh, planet. Mm-hmm. But for, I mean, the cultural cultural part. Personally, I believe it's a way for us to like connect with our history. I mean, with with our island. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. I'm curious.、Um, how does the bark fabric feel on our skin? Is it rough? Okay. Um, it really depends on. And、uh, how you treat it? <laughs> okay. I have to say that. <laughs> okay.、Um, if we just like touch, I mean the tree barks. It's quite rough.、Mm. So we only leave the inner layer. So it's it's very as、uh, smooth and、okay. uh, and also very. Uh, so it's not that kind of like a rough, and also we use the hammer to like stretch the structure so it become more like thinner. So. Um, it's not that kind of uncomfortable, but it could be more、uh, wearable. I mean, in our daily life,、mm, okay. but combined with、um, like different kind of craft to turn it into a new thing. Mainly, we combine with the、uh, embroideries.、Mm. So we attach the tree barks. I mean, on the fabric with the embroidery stitch and with like other kind of. Uh, bend the materials like the sequins, and also like bead, and also some、uh, Swarovski like diamonds to like decorate. Is I mean, working as a designer, I think it's quite important to turn like this kind of traditional handcraft、mm. into a new face. Not only I mean keep it as a heritage. I mean, I won't say like the cultural heritage is not important. But I have to turn it into a new face to introduce it to the public again. Otherwise, like we don't know, like or we can like just imagine like how it could, I mean, goes into our, our lives. So I mean,、right. if we don't have that kind of imaginations,、mm-hmm. we won't like get interested in this kind of handcraft again. Then we will lose it. I mean, in the coming future. So, I mean, working as a designer, I think it's quite important to. To use our creativity to turn it into an into a new life.、Uh, in our 2020 seasons, we、uh-huh. combine it with、uh, like the crochet, oh, the crochet and、um, techniques, 
and in Lanelle and the Dutch crochets. Yeah, um, I was looking at your collection, and um, it's all very um, like very down to earth color collection. You know, it's it's all yes. like part of nature. Um, a lot of um, like a beige, very comfortable, like light brown color. You know, and and it's all. Very summary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because mm. for me, I think I I really want to let fashion. I mean, down to earth. Yeah. And I hope to let fashion. I mean, held in commons, held in our life. I think it's more uh, important. Because after working for a few years, I mean, in the fashion industry, I found there are more and more. I mean, abandoned materials and lots of like waste, lots of. Like that stock, not only in fashion industry but also in the textile industry.、Mm. But for me, I feel it's quite pity because、mm. all of the creators we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of efforts to、um, do the research, do the trial, then go to the final product. But at the end, it seems like we still create like lots of waste and also some. Like desktop or lots、mm. of like samples. I mean, in our studios, but I expect myself not only as a creator make something beautiful, but also use my hand to solve the current problems、mm. or solve the sur- problems in our surroundings. Do some upcycling things or like the samples to give them the second life. But if I let it go to like really high fashion style, it will be out of fashion maybe after one years or after two years. So expect to make more like timeless style, but with something very dedicated. I mean details with、um, the high quality textile in my design. So that is what I think is more important. There are two sources in our works. First,、mm. for like the kimonos and the obvious of the of them are the secondhand、um, like garments. Yeah. Because I have a friend like who runs a kimono rental house in Kyoto. Can remember maybe three or four years ago. Okay. Okay. Because one day well. When we、okay. talk about, because I told him like after few, working for a few years, I found there are more and more samples. I mean, in my studio, but I didn't know like how I could work with them because I mean I feel so so guilty because <laughs> I <laughs> I spend a lot of I mean I spend a lot of time and to create them, but nobody like really wear it. I mean after a few seasons, yeah, and he say also have that kind of problems. Because you know he runs a kimono rental house, so sometimes maybe his clients like pull the kimonos. He can't like recover it, but he also don't want to provide this kind of like stuff to、uh, his clients. But he also don't want to throw it away, so it's become another problem for him. So in 2017, I think I got an、uh, invitation from like Alibaba. They have a, I mean in China they have a. Shows to promote the international emerging designers. Oh, okay. So he invited me to present a new collection there. Oh, so good. So I talked with him. Maybe we could do some collaborations to upcycles like the secondhand or polluted and、uh, like kimonos and obis from his rental house, and also the samples at at my studio. So it's a very beginning. Um, I start the sustainable design journey. 
next week. Besides continuing on to hear about his life story in fashion, I'm also curious to find out why, of all places, to learn about fashion to develop his fashion career, why he chose the Netherlands. So join me next week to find out. For in the spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies: in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kilohertz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti@rti.org.tw. At 